0: This is Heather Gold, your host at TumbleVision TV, sitting in the same room for the first time with host Kevin Mart.
1: Hello there.
0: And Deb Schultz. Hello. And uh, that's why it sounds so good, <laughs> because <laughs> this is not for Skype connections. And we are thrilled to be back for our season, um, our new season of TumbleVision brought to you. Is that exciting or what? We'll find out some more natural way of saying it. So, uh, we want to welcome our first sponsor, Hover, uh, which if you don't know Hover, now you will because uh, we love them. And if you like, 70, what is this, episode 77 or something of the show? 78. Eight. This will keep you know help keep the shows coming. Please uh, check them out. They do I'm different- sorry.
2: This is your guest, aren't they? Isn't that pronounced Hoover?
0: No. Oh, but we'll get to our, our fantastic guest uh, who's just jumped in, which is exciting that you're willing to do that. Jim Bauer, uh, computational biologist, neurologist, founder of Yville. Uh Jim Bauer joining us from San Antonio. Thank you for joining us, Jim.
2: Happy to do so.
0: So I'm going to explain to people, uh, Tummel Vision is the name of the show. What the hell is tumbling? Well, I'm glad you asked. Tumbling, so you can, I've been asked a few times. You can tell is uh, it's tummel is the old Yiddish word uh, that means uh, it's a it's a job. It's somebody who got hired to entertain at a wedding, and it's really a practice of of how you keep people engaged socially. So it's not a kind of pure form of passive entertainment where where you're just watching someone on stage. A tumbler works to involve the audience in the show. And we have used this word because uh, we need a new way of thinking about how engagement works. Uh, This show focuses on the best in social engagement in tech, uh, business, and culture. And we feel really strongly that in a post-command control world, the way to keep things moving is the practice of tumbling. And, And we talk to people who we think do it really well and um, have other insights about what it is to have people be at the center of our world and have technology support people, not the other way around. So, that is what our lovely little X rated business show is about. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's great to be back. I just got back from Burning Man, Jim. Uh, did you go?
2: Did I, you I didn't go this year, no.
0: But it was pretty awesome. And you've, how many times have you gone?
2: I've only gone twice.
0: I really think that Burning Man is one of, if not the best, social engagement platform I've seen. And by that, I mean it's, it's it's I don't know how many years old by now. It was the 25th, 25th anniversary this yep. year. Yep. It's something that grows, that not only as a large festival itself stays quite engaged, but has lots and lots of structures within it, camps that have people who tumble each of those. So it's... It's almost one of the best examples I can think of of what does something look like where it's created conditions for people who are good at tumbling. Burning Man has been great at that. It's the only reason it keeps growing. There's someone who keeps each camp or a group of people who keep it going. Um, and then the festival sold out for the first time this year. It's enormous. It's like 50,000 people this year. Mm-hmm. They capped it just because the infrastructure issues came up.
2: Um, so I, I didn't, this is the guess again, I didn't realize that tumultuous was actually a Yiddish word.
3: Yes, tumult. The word tumult comes from Tumblr.
2: But tumultuous.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, tumult. it's the derivation.
2: Oh, huh. interesting.
0: Basically, everything expressive in English was once Yiddish. That's true. <laughs> 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 oh, and and if it's something that means something horrible, that's also it, Yiddish. Well,
2: R.I.V. Let's just
0: move forward. Exactly. Just get it all out there. So uh, so like we have, we usually do a little bit about the news at the top of the show, and then we dive into the beautifulness of Jim Bauer and what's gone on, and the couple things we've missed in the last few weeks. It seemed worth hitting a little bit everybody. He'll hello to everyone in the chat room with us. And if you want to be part of the show live, which we recommend, come to tumblevision.tv, Thursdays, 6 o'clock, PST. Um, a few weeks ago, Steve Jobs resigned uh, from Apple. In fact, the first day, the day I went to Burning Man, and it seemed like it seems like a moment worth marking because, first of all, I don't, I can't think anyone's had a bigger impact in business and technology in the last thirty years. As a non, he's really not a technologist. Kevin, is he? Would you call him? Not a not. Not really.
1: No, no. But he understands the field of technology. Yeah, he's he's not a coder certainly.
0: But. But I also, in a weird way, as much as I think he's amazing and uh, he is the only celebrity I ever had – boy, I ever had a crush on when I was young. Hmm. Uh, it was an interesting thing to know. I don't think he understands socialness at all. And I, I think it's one of the reasons Apple, as much as I love much about it and Kevin and I used work there, I don't think it's ever going to get – I didn't think Google would even come as far as it's come. But I don't think Apple, by design, can ever really get social engagement.
1: Um see the, the thing is that they get bits of it because they've built the they've now built the store culture so they have to have actually have to meet people and talk to them right. which which you know so they good have a, a division of apple where the the, the the goal is to talk to people and, and, and help them um but yeah they're they they're very much a talk from the top organization like no other and they're, they're very good at it um but there there isn't there isn't a sense of human connection as, as part of Apple and that's very true. I
3: the way that we talk about social engagement and social web and social software today, Apple doesn't get it. But what I do think is that because Steve Jobs is not a techie and a geek, per se, I think he creates tools that enable people who are natural tumblers and social to... To um, to more easily do what they what it is that they do.
0: But, Hence, it was the machine for artists. Hence but does he understand the, the social impulse? No. I mean, Jim. Jim, I I have to admit, I am not an expert on neuroscience or computational biology, although they sound like really? I were able to be a scientist, what I would like to be. Um, I, how much does your work look at social instincts? <clears throat>
2: um. Well, I guess there are two two quick answers to that question. The first is that I teach a course in neuroethology and animal behavior, which is sort of all about how animals interact. That's what I thought. (laughs) Yeah, but I have no expertise. I just. (laughs) Well,
0: you have more than we do.
2: um, Maybe. How
0: animals interact, and and how often are the things you're looking at true for us? are Are we included in animals when you say animals?
2: Um, when I say animals, sure. Um, so the court actually, the actually, actually there may there may actually be several of my students listening to this. So anyway, I don't want to give them any clues to what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing we actually do we actually do is send them out on an illegal field trip. Um, it's illegal because it would take far too much time to get permission from the university to do it. So I just tell them it's an illegal field trip. I will meet you at uh, 7 in the morning at a duck pond.
1: Mm.
2: And 80 of them trundle out at 7 in the morning to a duck pond, and I then sort of give them instructions to observe the behavior of the ducks as if they were aliens, which isn't hard because... (laughs) besides quacking <laughs> most people don't know much about duck behavior anyway and we do that for uh, we do that once then do it again and then we sort of analyze the behavior of ducks looking for certain e- or evidence of certain types of communication structures between them so how does a duck communicate with another duck okay and then once they've done that i send them off as aliens to observe humans and, uh, they observe humans the same way that I've taught, I've taught them to observe ducks and they come back with all kinds of interesting observations that they never realized about humans.
3: Like, like, yeah.
2: Well, again, I, I, I don't want to give too much away, but because mm. the whole course is designed to be confusing and tumultuous <laughs> <laughs> emergent, <laughs> emergent, exactly. Um, but well, there's there's it. Well, I'll ask you the question. Okay, so here's okay. the question. It turns out. So let me. Ask, what do you know about ducks? Whack. Um,
0: They're my spirit animal. They are. I have a duck on my belt. You have a duck in your belt? She does. She's not lying. Audience, here's what I love about ducks beyond their cuteness. They do multiple uh, modes. They do air and water and land. Yeah. Which I, I know that they're famous for imprinting experiments. What's his name? Popper, whatever the hell his name was. Oh, I read that a million years ago.
2: Conrad Lorenz. And I Lorenz. Spent,
0: Conrad Lorenz, and I spent a lot of time watching them in a little pond in the, when I was imprisoned in, in Long Island for three years, which is its own story. Uh, <laughs> but they're super cute, and swans eat them sometimes when they're angry and they're very little, and they they uh, they stay furry. Like, They look like they're a fur for a long time.
2: Yes, actually, I like how they have a rape culture. Yes, they they're
0: do. Wh- a what culture? A rape culture. I'm glad that's what Kevin knows about. <laughs> that's <laughs> Kevin's roundabout
3: way, as we must do, of quoting poetry. You should have seen his face. <laughs> Lena and the Swan
1: was just so. Sort i of undermined the thoughts but there's. He looks really there's, pretty, like... there's some
2: pretty bad stuff. So, Oh, no, um, well, okay, so this is actually great. So, it, boy, we're all over the place here, but that's fine. Um, so, so we're
0: going to bring it back.
2: Yeah, so here's the so yeah, actually, um one of the things that we talk about is, you know, not anthropomorphizing ducks and not applying our cultural norms to ducks. So, actually, the last class on Tuesday, I showed two um videos from youtube one of two a male and a female duck filmed by this guy in his swimming pool and i had to kill the soundtrack because the guy kept grunting it was really strange anyway <laughs> the, the, the so these male and females were more or less this male and female were more or less engaging in uh an appropriate type of uh gender interaction one-on-one huh? and the title of the, the title of the film on youtube was uh called duck love And then, and after the ducks engaged in this particular activity, um, then the female flapped, and the male flapped, and, and then she preened herself, and he preened himself, and then he hopped out of the pond and went to sleep. Anyway, so then the next video I showed was one titled Duck Rape, where it starts out with four or five male ducks all, you know, converging on this female and of course the reaction of the, the class was this is horrible you know these males should be taken off and something done to them at the end of the incident however the female stood up flapped preened and wandered off to eat so of course the point was you have to be very careful about how how you interpret animal behavior the behavior of other animals from your own point of view if you really want to understand what's going on with the behavior of the animal. Uh, Oddly, or sort of, you know, today in class, one of the students said that her boyfriend was now uh, suggesting that she drop the class because he was horrified at this particular, you know, demonstration.
0: Anyway. Well,
2: Um, I mean... So there you are. So they do have a rape culture. But I don't think that's what we started to talk about. Oh, I was going to ask you a question. You were asking us
1: about ducks. Yeah. What what do we know?
0: I was trying to find out how um, your work with animals, how much of it's based on understanding social interaction, social engagement, and then we're going to see if we could apply that to why we're surmising Apple doesn't understand social engagement, in our opinions, in my opinion.
2: Right. Well, that's because Steve Jobs didn't take my course. <laughs> he did calligraphy instead. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> I have a question,
3: though. So, so if ha, hmm. so, basically, what you're saying in you know in in that instance is that we can't make assumptions, obviously, about any form of animal behavior and human behavior or any kind of animal species from one to another. I mean, you can't compare ducks to lions. this. But what can you learn?
0: I, I think from? you can in a sense of, like, I still want to know if people sig- if some species signal certain ways. I think right. it's interesting to look at how they signal because one thing uh, we don't have online, I, I haven't posted on the tumblevision.tv yet, but I did a talk at um, WordCamp about, now it's almost a month ago, about tools for tumbling. The web is very weak at... Um, our emotional signaling we, we just don't have very good right. tools um mm-hmm. and we don't have anything designed well to do that so i'd just be interested in hearing how almost any species does it in
2: any way well so actually that loops back very nicely to the original before we got sidetracked by the duck's strange social behaviors um so the duck, duck thing yeah so <laughs> most of communication is nonverbal. You know that, right?
0: Yes, yes. Wait, say it, say it, Kevin, say it. Now explain biological. It's phatic, yes. Now, can you, now you're, you have you're, to explain. You're the authoritative scientist, so can you give us the biological proof of that, even though we say it every week
3: in the show? And Jim, before you jump into it, you need to know that we have drinking games on the show, and a favorite <laughs> word of ours every week is to say the word phatic communication that's kevin's word
0: so you just jumped right in there so give us some proof and we'll, we'll testify tell
2: us uh proof okay well first it's been it's been documented many different ways um you know there are all sorts of ways you can that it's been documented formally and officially but let me give you the example from ducks Okay, so there's a, it turns out there's a very important social communication between ducks that does not involve quacking, it involves movement. Hmm. Anyone want to guess what it is?
0: Tail wagging.
2: Exactly, tail wagging. Precisely. So one of the things that comes out in the observation the students make in the course, because they're specifically looking, they know nothing about this, but they're specifically looking for some indication from analyzing the behavior of two ducks interacting as to what these ducks are using to communicate. And it turns out the tail wag is a central part of duck nonverbal communication. Okay. So then I send them out to observe humans, And the question is, what is the comparable behavior of humans?
3: Nonverbal. Uh, Batting eyelashes, smiling.
2: Smiling. Smiling. Exactly. (laughs) Smiling. So then I actually send them out to do a whole series of human smile observations. um, Where they find out that, and of course the interesting thing about smiling, which you do all the time... Okay, except you're probably not right now. But anyway, actually, but well, you do all the time. If there's in the room, we probably are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> is, um, you know, the interesting thing about smiling is that most of the time you do it, you're not aware of doing it. And you're not anywhere close to aware of the, of the sophistication of the communication. So one of the things the students find out is that there are many different types of smiling. In different circumstances, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of gender differences in smiling. You smile at distinct distances when you're approaching someone on the street. Obviously, you smile differently if you know them than if you don't. So it's this extremely sophisticated, nonverbal form of social communication that we know nothing about. You just do. In fact, one of the first things you do as a human... (laughs) One of the first things you do as a human that elicits, you know, the strong response from parents. As a is baby. The oh. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. it's the
0: first one of the first things they learn to, to do in response right. or
2: to evoke. Yeah, for well, sure. It it turns out it isn't learning.
0: It isn't? It's
2: just in there. Yeah, it's in there. And from the,
0: where? Where does it come from, Jim? What part of the brain?
2: Oh, who knows? The <laughs> I
0: love that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, we, we know next to nothing about how the brain works. If, if anyone comes on your if anyone comes on your show and tells you different, then let me know what the Twitter uh, is for the show. Tony Damasio
0: says it's plastic. is
2: that true? Oh, Damasio oh. anyway
0: Uh-oh. we're starting an academic war is that it? <laughs> um,
2: Americans love plasticity.
0: Ah, I don't know if it's true. I'm asking Everything is a question.
2: Well, one of the students in class a couple of days ago said so do we learn anything?
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> That's
0: just way
3: out there. <laughs> how existential? <laughs> we sit with that for an hour?
2: <laughs> Do we learn anything?
3: How? Myers will know. But we, yeah. Myers in our chat room will know. We have but incredible... Return speech.
2: back to poor Apple. Okay? Yes. And the Internet, <clears throat> the Internet is really impoverished, you know, with respect to, you know, nonverbal communication.
0: Amen, brother. Preach it.
2: Yeah, so... And... This is one of the reasons why I mean email is classically horrible, and of course everybody knows about enormous email fights you get into where the person that sent the email never intended it to be aggressive or nasty or whatever so it's you know sort of in its traditional form, especially it's really impoverished um, and it that's actually a problem. The other thing you can't get from computers, and you probably never will be able to get, is smell.
0: Even though this company had $8 million to make boxes called I Smell so you could smell burning flesh when you played a video game in 1999? smell vision They were crazy. It, you know it what?
2: Doesn't, I, doesn't work. And and you know why it doesn't work? It's sort of interesting, I think. So <clears throat> why doesn't Smell-o-vision or scratch-and-sniff movies work?
0: Because the, I, I, my guess would be the, the smells that they put out? Um, I don't know what the equivalent is, but they're very, like, there's no nuance to them at all. They uh. seem very, like, flat to me, like, the equivalent of having only three colors or something. Mm. And they don't seem like real smells. They seem very artificial-ish, those smells. Mm. That's a good point. I mean, I, I mean, people, all, when they asked me, I got asked 80 million times at Burning Man. Everyone to know why I didn't, like, kiss boys anymore or whatever, and why I knew I was really attracted to him? is like, look, it's not like I made a plan, but honestly, it's the smell.
3: (laughs) It's the smell thing. Which is why I'm glad there's no smell on the internet. (laughs) I never want it. Why
0: you make make someone wonderful?
3: Eh, chances are. So
2: so. so here's another neurobiologic key question. So what's the difference between vision and smell? What's the principal difference?
0: Smell is less...
1: Well, smell is like m- measuring molecules and weighing them up, whereas vision is computational.
2: That's right. So oh smell, when God. you smell, that's exactly right. You're doing slow great. Slow
0: down, slow <laughs> down, because <laughs> you say you that got- again, between the three of us, we make a complete person. <laughs> Except Kevin
2: makes <laughs> <three> <laughs> Kevin already has five bonus it's points. Like the-
0: <laughs> that is actually true. Between the three of us, we make a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the arm or something. Okay. Kevin, yeah, slow that so, down
2: science guy. So as what, Kevin as Kevin it? said, um the thing about smell is that when you're smelling something you actually have it in your nose. So the thing you're smelling is in your nose. Your brain knows that.
0: So it's like speak. eating, like it's in you because of you. In most, in most
2: of eating is smelling actually, but <clears throat> that yeah, it's in you. So that the brain knows that if there's a chemical in your nose and the thing that emitted that chemical is definitely nearby. But vision is all inferential or computational, if you want to call it that. I mean, I think what you meant, Kevin, yeah. it was inferential. So <clears throat> vision is inferential. You're just guessing what things are based on sort of the particular flurry of photons.
0: It's more guessy,
2: right? It's very guessy. This is why you can go into a movie for example, and completely immerse yourself in the movie as if it's a fantasy world. But as soon as they pump something into the movie theater that's a smell, you come out of the movie and you look behind you because the jerk is probably, you know, eating something he shouldn't be. Because the the nervous system knows that olfaction is real for sure. No doubt. Because there's no inference involved. No, it's figuring out what the heck it is that you're smelling, turns out to be an extremely difficult problem. But, for sure, you're smelling it. So, anyway, that's, you know, so therefore you can see the problem. If you, but olfaction is extremely important to us. I mean, even though, especially in the United States, we do everything in our power <laughs> to get rid of it as a social signal.
0: Hold on, slow down, slow down. Everything, who's doing everything their their power to get rid of? Smell?
2: America.
0: Why? Because of uh, processed
2: perfumes and deodorants. stuff? You
0: have to be clean. And-
2: deodorants and perfumes. Yeah. Everywhere Everywhere you put perfume, there are glands that are supposed to be telling people things about you. Mm. That's where it's you the, put the perfume. The animal's
1: glands instead, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, right. Well, Instead of using animals, Isn't it a way of hiding? <laughs> yes.
2: It's 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 actually uh, the way way I think of it, and this is something that people debate. But I actually think it's a way of putting off judgment.
0: That's what I mean by hiding. I mean the, when people hide, it's because their fear of publicness is the thing I mostly focus on in my performance work. Is public intimacy, and for sure, judgment is the thing people run from. Number right. one. You want Plus to get, internalized judgment, which is confusing.
2: It's and a little that, bit like, a little like, like dating on the Internet. I mean, one of the reasons people like dating on the Internet is because you can actually present kind of who you are without right. people being able to make a judgment based on the sort of signals that we usually use to make judgments. As you know, although it hasn't been mentioned yet, <laughs> so this is not a plug, but, you know, I run a virtual world, the first one, for kids, Almost thirteen year old, years old. not called Neopets. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> well, Neopets. <laughs>
3: Neopets. <laughs> called Neopets. Called Wyville.
2: Called Wyville. And right. And uh, you know, on that site, and one of the things I am asked to do on occasion is go to town hall meetings, and and. Wyville is, we're about to cross 7 million registered users. Um, the average age is 13, and 76% are female. Wow. So I'm asked on occasion to go to schools or towns or cities or whatever because I'm very famous in Wyville. Um, they know I'm the quote founder, right? In Wyville, I'm super id. Um, the kids actually think it's Super ID, and I don't correct them. <laughs> but anyway, so so I go to these. I have occasionally gone to these town hall meetings, and these kids come in expecting to see Super ID, and instead they see me. And they they like Super ID a lot, but when they physically see me, right, this older male with long hair and sort of a little sketchy looking, right, wow. their reaction is very much especially their parents' reaction is sort of horrified. Um, And it usually takes me about 15 minutes before they realize I am who I say I am. But the point is, and everyone knows this, I'm sort of belaboring an obvious point that many people have made. On the Internet, you have this opportunity to sort of influence people with your personality, maybe before they make the flash judgments. I think perfume is the same thing. You're holding off the chemical judgment hoping that there's some other reason why this person might want to interact with you. Of course, yeah. you, can't, you can't hold it off forever. Uh, eventually, eventually. If, eventually, if the relationship develops, there's a whole series of specific olfactory behaviors that we go through, although we tend not to think of them as olfactory behaviors, which <laughs> provides us detailed information about the other person.
0: Well, I would say the only other reason to me to use not so much perfume, although sometimes it's used, I would say, like, I, I got sprayed with a bunch of stuff in the desert. And sometimes you wear it for yourself because it just makes you feel different to have that smell, mm-hmm. which is a little different than the how I'm presenting to someone else thing. Right. It's like when you put peppermint in your hair. I love doing that.
2: Well, this is one of the things humans do. They sort of co-op perfectly good mechanisms to do funny things with them. So So, meditation is like that. Um, we actually I actually published a paper a few years ago, which provided sort of a physiological explanation for meditation, which you probably don't want me to go into great detail on, but the what we, what I actually suspect meditation is is just hijacking a natural sleep phenomenon which is triggered in sleep by breathing patterns, slow breathing patterns, it's called slow-wave sleep. And it's triggered by breathing patterns, okay? Um, And what we've figured out how to do by controlling our breathing is induce this quasi-slow-wave sleep memory consolidation state in a quasi-alert way and so we've taken a perfectly good biological mechanism and because we figured out how to breathe, we can induce it in a more conscious state for our purposes. So I think one of the things we do is co-op perfectly good mechanisms to do things that are, were never intended. And it could be that covering yourself perf- with perfume and enjoying the smell is that... Um, or it could be you're assuming if you like the way you smell, sort of subconsciously, or something other people will too. But anyway, back to social media mm-hmm. on the internet. <laughs> um, olfaction is a very important signal for us. I, the example again I gave in class today is um, how many times have you gone out? On, and it was great. Jim,
0: Jim, sorry to interrupt you, but we're, yeah. we're losing you a little bit. Can you unplug and replug the mic, and we'll just talk a little bit here while you do that. Um, so we can get the, the sound back. So so Jim is positing, you guys. I just want to pay attention to you. The three of us are sitting in a room together, which is kind of weird to begin with, <laughs> staring out at this incredibly beautiful view of the Bay with the Bay Bridge right there in the Ferry building. Since we're in, like, college vibe here, nice. um, trying to come up with this idea that we co-opt these things. Well, as humans, we can become self-conscious and self-aware. Maybe the rest of the animals can too, or the other mammals can too, and then we can use some of this stuff. And the and the web, if nothing else, is a place or the net where we need to use um, that kind of self awareness to do some of the conveyance of emotional. And I don't know how much we'll do in terms of smell, but it seems to me we mm-hmm. need uh, some transmission for sure to increase around this. And in order to do that, we'll have to become self aware about stuff. And that, to me, is the, in a weird way the hope of the web because it will make us. Same way biofeedback can make you kind of healthier when you kind of, if you don't have physical sensation around certain things, you can get enough data feedback to go, oh, I need to relax my heart rate. We might learn that our bodies, relearn our bodies this mm-hmm. way, at least this is my little amateur hope. I don't know if you can hear me,
2: Jim. I can hear you. Can you hear me?
0: Yep. Yes. We hear you great now. What do you think about that idea that somehow because we'll have to make this stuff to the degree which we can make it work in the network? be self-aware and slowed down and approximated, it could return us in a weird way to be more connected to these mechanisms? Because I know a lot of them are unconscious, but I think people in stress can disconnect from a lot of natural.
2: So let me, let me, so actually today, there was just a discussion going on on some LinkedIn thing about how you make um, profitable virtual worlds. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole usual discussion about uh, virtual currency and um, you know, virtual goods and all that, which would seem like the natural way to do it, given it's virtual. And what I said was, no, I think you make, th- you make money, you make profits, you survive the way you always have, and that is by providing real services and real products in the real world. So the trick, I think, for the internet is not how you build something that lives completely separate from, but Amen. how the internet becomes a tool that actually facilitates what happens in the real world.
0: Okay? Amen. And we think that the human piece of it has to come from a person, the tumbling, because we don't think the machines will do something as well.
2: Oh, well, there's, you know, the way I think about tumbling is that, and, and again, this I, I hate to probably bore your audience with all these trivial truisms, but... You know, the huge difference, obviously, between the Internet and what we've had for 500 years is that it's not a broadcast medium. It, the wire goes both ways. Yes.
0: Not only both ways. To me, what's most interesting is it goes between all the other the people, not just That's right. you to them and them to you, That's but right. them to them.
2: That's right. And so took that so that communication structure is what fundamentally changes everything and yeah. is fundamentally changing everything i mean look at you know i was i saw a carver uh, the npr guy mm-hmm. at a talk or at some meeting i was in like about this time last year and the discussion at the meeting that he was in was will social media ever have a political consequence and then I saw him at South by Southwest. Really? Sure. God, yeah, who is yeah. this? And Andy, Andy, Andy Carver. Andy was asking you this? No, no, no. He was on a he was on a panel. Oh
0: yes, where He's people a- were
2: asking him this. Andy
0: did one of the best tumblvision shows uh, we've done. If you want like a really great, here's how tumbling works. We have a two parter with him. It's awesome. Oh great. And Andy is the
3: if if when people ask me who's a great tumbler yeah. and I want to give an example from someone they may know or what he's done, I always give Andy on a, you know, in, in that sense. Because right now he does it better than anyone in a very difficult
0: space. Okay, and so, right. Totally agree so with anyway, I, you...
2: I saw him at South by Southwest, you know, which is in February. And it was, right. the panel was set up to discuss the same thing. And, of course, the moderator stood up and said, well, what topic should we discuss instead? <laughs> 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 right, so... You know, the, the the power of this technology is, and, and I think that's where a lot of people sort of, you know, get all excited about the technology for its own sake, sort of forget about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, so, you know, the Second Life guys think you can just live in Second Life forever. Um, so... You know, I think that the power, and again, I apologize for being sort of these truisms one up to the next, but the real power of this technology is how it influences the real world.
0: You are so half-Canadian, Jim, I just want to say.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Well, I got you beat up by Canadians and um, you youth. Know, You'll you know, you be taken to the boards by Canadians enough. It sort of rubs off on you. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, and and so the trick... I think to fig- even figuring out financially how to survive is the real world. Is how you how you blend or link yeah. to the real world, and Amen. and Wyville, and again, I'm not plugging, but one of our original. I mean, Wyville came out of 17 years of work that we did in public schools in California, asking the question: <clears throat> What form of interaction uh, on the You know, using this technology supports kids getting, and actually, I suspect, I don't want to make a strong claim about this, but I think we probably used the E word before anybody else. But anyway, at least it was in our first business plan in 1999, um, that is engage. Um, So figuring out how to use this technology to engage kids in something that matters to them in the real world, was what Wyville was set up to do. Um, So we never imagined that Wyville was going to be an isolated fantasy place all to itself. And when Linden Lab started, and we talked to them and, you know, been around for a long time, um, I mean, 13 years, you know, one of the things I said over and over again is, you know, it's not fantasy world if you really want so the question then is, given this technology is still and may be in some sense self faction forever impoverished with respect to the cues that humans use for social interaction, the question is how can you promote you know, and engage people in a way that facilitates in their interaction in the real world? And I think there are a lot of growing examples of that, um, but it's not... It's not a closed case how you actually structure that. We have, I mean, we have, we have kids in, we, 10% of the kids, quote-unquote, who registered for Wyville in the year 2000 have been on the site within the last month. Hmm. And, wow. and they're now in college. Interesting. So so, it's, so it's, it's, it's a third place for them to go back to and, and
1: hang out with people? Everyone yeah, drinks yeah
3: sorry third place is my is my drink word
2: <laughs> third place that's like almost a home plate right so they change how they interact when they go back but so sure we-
0: did you have a vision of what you wanted uh how you wanted to affect how these kids were at- interacting in the physical world or did you just notice what they were doing
2: my principal vision was I wanted to destroy the textbook industry. Amen. Hear, here.
1: I've got two sons in high school and I'm like, happy yeah, to destroy the textbook
2: industry. I think is the, the, the main <laughs> problem with American education is the textbook industry and <clears throat> that style of learning, which, you know, I blame on the printing press, but that's over now. Right. And so everything will change as a consequence. You know, one of the one of the things. You know, I seldom, as as, you know, I think Deborah knows. I seldom. Uh, I don't allow people usually when I'm talking about Wyville to mention that I'm also a computational neurobiologist, because then the inevitable question is, well, is Wyville sort of. Uh, certified to be biologically or neurobiologically, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And unfortunately, one of the things that's happening in the world right now, and Damasio is part of this, unfortunately, is that people are using supposed brain science to justify all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So so I've fired two PR firms because they've threatened to use my status as a neuroscientist to justify what's going on in Wyville.
3: Huh. That the, basically what, what Jim is saying is that because he understands this computational neuroscience and the way our brains work, then people are naturally going to, ooh, let's say that, you know, the, the brilliance of the computational engineering and the tech is what what, what makes Wyville works. But that's that's not right. Right, but
0: that's, that's because people, it's like they want to use science like their perfume. Uh, as you were saying earlier, Jim, they don't uh, want to believe in anything they experience with each other. They want to feel like there's some authority they can go to that
2: will then say yes. In fact, now it's legitimate to do this thing. That's right. It's, it's right. legitimate. In fact, after we published this paper on um, on um, uh, sort of a biological basis for meditation, I got a phone call from a grandmaster of chi, huh. uh, actually, who I think practices in uh, Santa Barbara. And he wanted to talk to me because he said, this is great. You've justified or provided a justification for this, you know, behavioral thing we've been doing. And I I said, why are you calling me? You've been doing this for thousands of years. Because no one will. Exactly. People who don't live in
0: his world don't listen to him. But the question is. Is, is, it, is there a point in bringing this sort of mental bridge? And in a way, that was what I forget who in the chat stream here said. We've got this data stream. This is my hope for the web that it's losing that it's going to explain stuff in data for people who can't trust their experience yet to get them to at least give up. I don't know. Like, to me, my way there was like giving up on the other thing. Like, just try it tell them this doesn't work. Um, it's very difficult to talk to someone. In fact, the three of us have the South by Southwest, and if you're going to come, we'd love to have you participate with us, Jim. We're going to do a, a conversation called, uh, you know, social media influence. We call bullshit because it's a similar question. People want to look to clout. They want there's lots of businesses trying to put run analytics on social media because there's a phenomenon of people actually engaging. That's not enough for them to trust. Anybody with two eyes can see Twitter or whatever happening. They want to Numbers. make sure it's analytically proven, so that the thing they've seen they can believe they've seen. I guess yeah, the or they one, want how to manipulate it.
2: The wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing about this is that it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, of course, <laughs> we
3: know that, but everyone else keeps running down that. It's like the emperor has no clothes. Well, you know? Yeah, I
2: know, but but eventually maybe they'll stop money spending money on these pundits. I mean, right now, you know, gamification is huge. Everyone's gamifying yeah. everything, right? And there are an enormous number of all of a sudden experts on how that's... you use games to do things. What and most it? of them don't have the slightest idea. I mean, they've never actually done it. They just see an opportunity to sell themselves as experts. So anyway, <clears throat> that's isn't an it old the, story. is that
3: people want... Um... Well, I was going to ask one question, but I'm going to ask another one instead about Wyville, since it's been such an engaged, you know, well-engaged, deep sort of community, the most talked about that no one knows about kind of community. And understanding the role of tumblers, um, one of the things that we like to think about is how do we design spaces for better...
0: Engagement and, and you know, and better what features and what use? tools. So if we can't do smell, like I was trying to ask people at this WordCamp conference, like please, for the love of the internet, make your blog not so one to many. Can we get some stuff that makes a space, a sense of space? For you? I'm going right. to do a conference in um at Stratford, Waterloo, on uh, September 28th, called Creating Space for the Moment. I'm doing a half day session with performers and uh, actors and dancers. And you ask people, so we could try to like do some stuff on how we perf- like what we do with each other to create emotional
3: moments, because we because we want it to be a less broadcast medium, so we
0: and more under- emotionally rich,
3: right? And we underst- and understanding what we just talked about—that is that people like the numbers and the gamification and all that bullshit—and w- knowing what really works, um, how do we easily? sort of describe to people what what needs to be built into these tools to make more So
2: l- let me ask you a question. Who in our society do you think not in the internet based who what profession, what person, what space in our society? It's a leading question. Of course. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know you I uh, forget how good this we've, mic is. We've already <laughs> done. It's teachers. Jeff.
2: Yes, it's teachers. Well, so teachers. Good
3: teachers. Good teachers, I was good
2: say. teachers. exactly. Thank Spoken you. like a true primate.
3: I am a primate. God damn it. i
2: proud I, of I it. know te- I've seen teacher. you ride a horse.
3: Yes, because I ride a horse. I was gonna say when you asked that, you know, the animal nonverbal, I was thinking of horses' ears, by the way. So um Jim and I have a horseback riding thing in common that we love. But <laughs> that's a great quote. Teachers,
0: I actually think Young kindergarten nursery. Yes. Yes. I'm doing some mother in the kitchen table, same ish thing. I I think. People who host at your home, a bala busta, if we're going to Yiddish the hell out of the show, which is another uh, Yiddishism for which my grandmother, if she told me, like, called me that was like the highest praise, which is, now, Deb, you can correct me if I get it wrong. Not just that you make the meal or that you make your home warm to people. It's you make them feel like they're your family and you help them be together when they come into the space you have. You've made a space, not just food. And that is really the key, the key thing. And a lot of what I've started trying to do in the middle of shows to not just perform at people, but to have that space where so I could get the most out of them in the experience, because I discovered there was a way to domino effect and scale the intimacy doing that. So teachers, good teachers. And I think you're on the money Deb, with the kindergarten thing, because if you go to any primary school, I bet the most loved person in the school is the kindergarten teacher.
2: That's right. So, so. The, the community management system that we built while we were also building the engine to run Wyville, um, <clears throat> which we just received a patent on. So we actually now have a patent on browser-based virtual worlds. Watch <laughs> out, Disney. But anyway, um, the other <laughs> patent that will probably come up soon or be given this year is for this is the community management system, which was specifically based on the way third grade teachers good third grade teachers manage their classes.
3: Why third grade specifically
2: uh, third grade is an interesting grade for kids because they're sort of Becoming social, ah, and so they are, and they're becoming more independent.
0: Wait, what do you mean, becoming social? They're not social from day one in
2: kindergarten. Oh, uh, this—it's a kind of independent social, socially independent. What does that mean? Uh, that means that they're not routing all of their socialness through adults or uh not you not see much it, anyway you
0: see it without the approval of the containing uh like they have their That's own right. system working by then okay
2: they're, they're they're starting to get sneaky all right right they start they they're not going to tell you who their girlfriend is
0: so, so
1: they have a sort of model of the other's mind. Is it,
2: is it that's right. A, it's, yeah, That's part of it. It's Also, it turns out that that's when the cerebellum becomes fully developed.
0: I would think emotionally they've hit a point where they can handle, you hope, their own emotions. They're not looking to the adult figure to contain yeah, them. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: that's right. So they're, you know, that's right. So, of course, Wyville was designed for tweens. Um, it was designed for eight 15-year-olds uh, or 14-year-olds. Um, and But the social... But really, really crack—well, really, really crack elementary school teachers. You know, do things the way that we as primates should have them done. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. You know, so it just as a simple example, um, good teachers use shaping for behavior rather than you know just beat on the kids. Most social spaces for kids on the Internet essentially uh, have either seriously preclude kids from being able to truly communicate or if a kid screws up, they throw them out. Right. Right. In Wyville, we have a whole elaborate system for keeping track of, you know, sort of what kids are doing and watching for events or activities that may not be what we want in Wyville and then we have a whole system to shape their behavior right so that and and, and by the way the other thing we have which also any good teacher knows is anyone coming into Wyville knows what the cu- the cultural and sort of the rules or the of the community are in fact, in order to chat in Wyville, you have to pass something called the chat license test, which is basically a way to inform them about what the rules are in the community. So the, and, 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 and good cl- classrooms that what work... What
0: is that license test? What's it like?
2: Oh, it's a series of questions kids answer, some of them about how to be safe on the Internet, and a bunch of others them that tell, tell them about both the tools that are available to them to help self-regulate the community, and also what sorts of things are can happen and shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the reason that that's important is, and again, I, I really apologize for all these truisms, but you can never enforce good behavior in a community. The only way a community works is if all of the participants want it to work. And in a good classroom, what the teacher constructs is basically a space where all the kids feel like they want it to work. And a core part of that is that each child feels like they're making a contribution. Yeah. That's what that's what user generated content really should be. That's why you know we I mean, we introduced the first Avatars that kids themselves made 13 years ago, and one of the reasons for that was to give them a place, a way that they could actually contribute in so a way that's directly related.
0: So, Jim uh, Myers wants to know: How are you handling bullies?
2: I beat them up in public. <laughs> yes, we actually put them in stockades. So we have this we have this mechanism in Wyville called taping. Where we put duct tape on the avatar, the mouth of the avatar of the kid if they've done something they shouldn't do.
0: Dude, <laughs> you're like the first person. You know how many shows we've done 78 where we've talked about, would somebody let you change the avatar of something? You were the first person we've talked to who's actually done it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So so we put a duct tape on them. So whenever they type, it comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh,
0: that's awesome. Genius. Okay. That's phenomenal.
2: And if you mouse over, it actually says, I've been duct taped for three days. And the kids know what that means.
1: (laughs) That's even better than disemboweling. Wow. Yeah,
0: Yeah. disemboweling. Do you know that one?
2: no we don't we don't have vowels because
0: vowels
2: oh, vowels just some
0: vowels so
2: this is teresa
1: nielsen Hayden 's technique Who for the,
0: also is the one who suggested the tumble?
1: Um which is when she gets annoying people on on the blog, um, she just takes the vowels out of what they 've said, no, so you can still good. just about read it, but it that's a great idea it takes longer, and you can just skip over it more easily no, so, I like that idea.
2: except our kids don't use vowels <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh right of course <laughs> <laughs> so but there's i mean some of the Other games have the: um, if you kill somebody, a skull and crossbones appears over your head and follows you around forever. Um, This is a similar idea to sort of mark you down as someone who's who's transgressed. The forever part is is not right. Yeah, right. You you have have to to give. Yeah, yeah. Well, it may not be forever. I I, I don't know. I I don't know as much about this as my sons do,
2: but I've I've seen these little skull and crossbones things. Right. There are, but there, there are other. Big and big big complicated p parts of this, so, for example, <clears throat> um, we actually have perp sheets, so we keep track of you know kids who are you know causing trouble, and we sort of watch and we can change the the rewards and the demerits depending on you know uh, how they're progressing and et cetera. There are lots of mechanisms for kids themselves to help enforce and or to to shape other kids' behavior. So um, in Wyville, you're innocent until proven guilty, which I realize is a strange concept these days. <laughs> um, but but one we believe in. And then the tumble part. So here's another question. And and this you know I, it puzzled me for a long. So the way Wyville works is that there are, there are kids, and then there's a senate. The kids actually elect senators. The senators basically mediate between the kids and what are called the city workers, who are the people that actually manage the site. Who come onto the site and are, you know, are identified as city workers. And I wondered for a long time um, why this, uh, you know, why this worked so well. Why kids sort of got this form of governance? And there are a bunch of city workers. They each have different personalities. They're known to be very powerful okay the kids know that we're very powerful we can do things to them we can send them to random websites you know just to show them we're powerful and i'm i have lightning bolts i'm sort of giving away the answer but anyway so the question is why does this work so in, in some ways we're tumblers that's what we're doing mm-hmm. right um so but the question is how come the kids get this so easily and, and I think,
0: yeah. Which piece?
1: Isn't it that you set the
2: tone, and then they understand that, that that that's the tone of the place? No, it's, but there's something really intrinsic. In, if you watch how they do it, they just get it. You don't have to give them long explanations, you know. And they and they're very, they like it. So one of the things, for example, they clearly like, and they talk about. They all have their favorite city worker. They know our personalities. They know our characteristics. They know we're very powerful, but sometimes we make mistakes, right? Um, So they just, they they really understand the sort of political structure of the space. And it puzzled me for a long time until what I realized we built, basically, was Athenia. This is Athens.
3: Yeah.
2: Hmm. We have a, we have... You have slaves?
3: (laughs) <laughs> no,
2: no slaves. It's minus the slaves part.
3: A better version of Athens.
2: So what we've actually built is a polytheism. Oh, it's polytheistic. You know, we're you,
1: you guys are the elementals. You, you you go around doing strange things, and they try and make sense of you.
2: Yes, and they know they know we have relations with each other. So it's very much like you know uh, a strong polytheism, and the kids really get it. What that allows from a tumbling point of view to, to keep stealing your word. Um
3: don't steal it, keep using it's it, free.
0: use it everywhere. Right. It's along. We're giving it away.
2: I was gonna tell my vacuum cleaner deal. And anyway, I was gonna thank him for but anyway. The um so yeah, I mean it, it turns out I'll make the proposition that it's much easier to tumble something if there are multiple people. At the level of city workers that are involved in the tumultuous process that rather than rather than just one rather than just one yeah when
0: I, I so I teach workshops how to do it uh-huh. and you need to have a certain number of people to have a social dynamic because what right. you' do, what I'm doing is sculpting social space and teaching people how to do that, and there has to be enough that it feels social uh, in order to do it
2: right. With kids, and one of the interesting things about tweens is they're sort of independent and they're sort of not. One of the things
0: that—that's true of adults too, by the
2: way. It is true. That's right. No, it is. It's also true. That's right. We do. I mean, we 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 are sort of. We do seek mentorship.
0: America all wants just a big top. Sorry, I was watching the political discussion on the Twitter. I mean, some places I think people want more to be let, right? Like the notion here of leadership is someone knows what to do. To done, it Tell me. And, and you have an answer, and that's the leadership. Yeah. So we're all engaged. The reality is anything that's going to work with everyone has to involve everybody, but there's a tremendous desire that's a very emotionally young addict style, someone take care of me behavior. That's what I see anyway.
2: Well, what I keep hearing is the media talk, ranting on and on again about how we need an authority and we should be paying attention to authority, which is another way of saying, please don't destroy my job. <laughs> yes.
3: Um, yeah, good point. Yeah. It's so, a sense of, of um, people don't like uh, ambivalence or not feeling safe. So it's an
0: answer to that. It's a belief that it will make them feel safe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They believe that's the way to get it.
2: I, I'm not, you know, if you ask my na- I, I live on a ranch in Texas, and for sure if you ask my neighbors whether they want someone telling them what to do, they'll, you know, tell you otherwise quickly. I'm not sure how, I mean, the Internet sort of says, I think, that most of us don't. But I think that this broadcast mentality is so deeply, deeply yes. in our culture. And the people that are have benefited and are, are in the broadcast seats are so so blinded by
0: well you know, because it so helps scary. their ego it's also we've seen yeah. it transmit into the social media web space you can see the Validate the, the quickly visible people are those who have sort of proffered a notion of guru expertise and they maintain a kind of broadcast style experience in the web uh... Well, with it's, the it's, illusion it's, of, right. of engagement
2: yeah that's right and the great thing is that they don't get the engagement That's great. They don't want the engagement. No, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They don't want it. Well, they they want it. They hope they get it so that they can keep justifying their approach, which does not involve engagement. They want followers. You don't need higher math to figure out that doesn't work. Um,
0: So, you know, since we're all in agreement on this, but I think it's worth slowing down and spelling out. So, Jim, say more maybe and really piece out why it's clear to you it doesn't work.
2: Because people don't go to those sites.
0: Such as? Mm-hmm. They
2: do, that. Oh, there are, um, what? Uh, so I'll give you a funny little story. This is from years ago. Um, To give you sort of an example, and there are lots of examples again, so I I apologize to your sophisticated audience, but years and years ago, like seven, eight, nine years ago, Berkeley, the School of Journalism, put together a one-day symposium on kids on the Internet, Mm -hmm. and they invited us, they invited Neopets, uh, they invited the BBC, uh, they invited, you know, uh, Time Magazine, and other people that were all building sites for for kids on the Internet. And I asked them when they called me, did you invite any
1: kids?
2: (laughs) And they said, where are we going to get kids? And I said, well, you're not going to get them from the BBC site or from the Times Magazine site, um, but I can get as many kids as you want. (laughs) So (laughs) we sent out this this all-points bulletin. For kids, saying anyone that's in the Berkeley area or who would like to come, you know, participate in this, you can, right? Nice. And so and so they said, that's great. We'll put together a panel at the end of the day when they're all out of school. And I just sort of bit my tongue. I didn't tell them that they were going to get out of school and show up at 8 in the morning. Because <laughs> 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 okay. yes, right. this was vastly more interesting than school. Anyway... So they did. They showed up at 8 in the morning. I was running, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, we have a whole pile of kids here. What are we going to do? Because the panel is done for the evening. And I said, don't worry. They'll figure out how to get involved. These are Wyvillians. So it was just a stitch. I wish I had filmed it.
0: No, totally. Because
2: there are these 15 kids sitting in the front row. And these really important media people, like the guy in charge of all of the children's programming for time and the BBC guy who was responsible for building all of the BBC's websites, including the one that they were making for girls to get them interested in the news, were standing on the stage. And by the time he spoke, actually, there was this one little girl named Susan, this eleven year old blonde girl, and she was a terror. Okay? I mean one one thing that Wyville is intent to do is, well don't want to go there anyway so and she was just a terror and she terrorized these people and so finally the BBC guy got up and he showed this website they were about to launch to attract 12 year old girls to the internet and she immediately raised her hand and he leaned over looked at her and said I'm gonna call on you but remember adults have feelings too (laughs) right anyway she said well I don't know about your feelings but why would you ever make it pink so, none of my friends will ever go to anything that's pink.
3: Uh huh.
2: You know, why didn't you ask us before you did this? Duh. And he didn't, he didn't have an answer. So, in general, and I think, you know, this, this, I know people have been talking about, in fact, you guys talked about, you know, Google Plus, and that one of the things they learned in the second instance of sort of trying to do something with social networking. Is that maybe they shouldn't launch the whole thing to begin with? They should launch little pieces, and they should watch.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, they didn't think about who to have there. But yeah, it was a right. good start anyway That's for them. It was a miracle they got exactly. to that stage. That's
2: right. So we've been. I've been talking for a long time about what I call the eighty twenty rule. Which, if you have a hundred dollars and you're going to do something on the internet, spend twenty out of it on the launch, and spend eighty of it on the adjustment. Yeah. Yep. Oh, interesting. That's
0: but that's an inversion of a broadcast linear totally. model. In which case, if you look at Film Find Funding, where you, you focus on the launch, which is why if you go to South by Southwest now and all these people want to launch their startups there, they just are it's morons. Noise, noise. It's like they spend a ton of money because they think it's like can or a, an old-style launch event, where it, something about that is the thing that pulls people and then you try to hold on to some of them. It's, right. sort of, it, it's sort of the old sieve uh, model. Uh, things are done because they can't conceptualize engagement of course they haven't designed that into most of the shit they're building so they don't get it uh eventually the engagement but did we so you talked about um the kids coming and and asking these questions at at this conference but you know to get back to what that was in response to what do you think makes uh Shows that if if you're trying to systematize or you know uh, expertize your way out of having a human tumble <laughs> those people like what makes you realize believe it doesn't work these clients. Well,
2: of ex- one thing you, one system. thing you can track with websites is if you if you look at uh, ComScore data, uh, looking at say unique users. And you watch websites that have money and that are launching and progressing. What you'll see is there's peaks in usership right after they've done some media campaign. Right. And then it drops back down to zero again. Right. And then they do another media campaign. It goes up again. Then it drops back down to zero. We have 7 million cumulative registered users. We have never spent a penny on marketing. Right. right. Except me, and you can already you can already tell I'm sort of not good at marketing. Um, but but anyway, right. Just...
0: <laughs> speaking of marketing, about to do. You know, speaking of marketing, Jim, I do yes. need to mention uh, here that we want to um, let people know that if you're looking to register domains, which is basically the crack of web junkies. I have a lot of domains. We should have a good domain poker game sometime. Um, we would like to, to thank our, our sponsor, Hover, for helping us do that. And if you want to make, help the show continue so we can have more time with people like you, Jim, uh, you can use the word Tumble to get a bit of a discount if you want to hover through our site at tummelvision.tv. And that way, you also don't have to use. Uh, the really pathetic GoDaddy, which I'm happy to smear on the <laughs> site and the show. They don't need to ever sponsor us. Um, so if you want like a um, all-gender friendly uh, domain process, also like a really simple one because you can call them and talk to them and they'll just do it for you. It's kind of easy. Sort of the point. So we want to we thank them for supporting the show. They're a nice Canadian company, which makes us happy. <laughs> uh, and we would you know, use them or we wouldn't have them here.
3: And just to add another piece, since I use hover for all my domains, I love the fact that when I transferred a ridiculous amount of domain names, they sent me, this is very tummel Like they sent me a postcard and I got in the mail, a physical postcard that with a thank you on the back (laughs) (laughs) handwritten, you know, thanks for joining the hover crew. So I love that. And I just wanted to add in because our chat room mentioned, mentioned, um, that since we are sitting tonight at, down by the in Salesforce's offices down by the lovely Ferry Building in San Francisco, yes, you are indeed hearing the chimes from the iconic San Francisco Ferry Building every half an hour. So, this is our show with a little bit of music. It's not the same <laughs> as our cowbells of yore, but it does bring back a little right. bit of music.
0: So, um, Jim, how did computational biology take you to the stuff with the kids?
2: Um, okay, so this is another, well, I'll, I'll, okay, so there's several answers to that. Let me give you the shortest one. Um, I became convinced a long time ago that simulations uh, and a particular type of simulation, but anyway, that, that simulation was going to be a really important part of doing science in the future, in I mean, it was already known in physics, but in biology, this was sort of a new idea, at least for biology as a lar- as a whole and neuroscience as a whole. So, I actually started several things when I was at Caltech years ago. We started the first graduate program in computational biology. I started the first course in computational biology. <laughs>
0: Jim, sorry, can you sorry, just describe sorry. what? Can you just describe what computational biology is? Because I don't think everyone like,
2: knows, um, including me. Uh, yeah, I hate doing that, but let me let me try. Basically. Um, it's the use of – the way I would define it, and if, if somewhere else were on here, they'd all complain about this, but is that so, it's actually the use of computational tools, modeling, simulation as a way to understand uh, st- structure-function relationships in biological systems. Okay? Yeah. so So sort of simple uh, – most of biology forever has been a form of storytelling, um, but some point in order to make progress, you have to take your stories, like this does that to that, and put it into a form that's quantifiable and defined. And that's what math is for. So essentially what the physicists did in the 14th, 15th century is what biology needs to do now. So... <clears throat> I started all. I started the first journal of computational neuroscience, the first summer course in computational neuroscience, um, the first international meeting in computational neuroscience. I built the software system that's now used to do computational neuroscience around the world. All that stuff, in an effort to convince my peers. And, and by the way, one of the reasons I was interested in simulation was not only because simulations provide a great tool for doing science, they also provide a spectacular tool for doing constructivist inquiry-based learning, which I was also trying to do with graduate students and postdocs and faculty. But I also believed that simulation-based learning uh, and... Games as a, sitting on top of simulations and other forms of interaction, not only games, sitting on top of simulations, would be a very powerful way for humans generally to learn. So in 1983, 84, I started building spaces on computers that were sort of simulation based. In fact, the first virtual world that I built was in 1986. It went into the LA public library system. And I'm not kidding, not kidding. That the motif was a corn farm in which you actually harvested and planted corn, so there's a corn economy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, it was built in HyperCard. But anyway.
0: Hypercard.
2: Yeah. So 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 that's why I was interested in in simulation and modeling and as a way for kids to learn and I knew the social piece had to be there as well, and so that's kind of where Wiville came from mm-hmm. Now, many years on, okay, I've sort of given up on my colleagues That's um, the beginning
0: of of freedom, isn't it
2: yes and but however. I mean, uh, recently I was meeting with the, or I was in a conversation with the president of the UT school that I'm in in San Antonio. And I asked him, I said, does it bother you at all that there are currently 20,000 children in Texas who are 15 and know more about computational biology than the faculty of this institution? And he just looked at me like he didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, don't worry, they're coming So one of the underlying motives for, if you want, for Wyville is actually to teach kids something about the style of education that's possible and the style of understanding that's possible if you actually build things on top of simulations. Mm. Um, So that's sort of the link between what I do professionally, legitimately more or less, in science and one of the things that's going on in Wyville. Um, right.
0: So I, I think I think I mean it becomes really engrossing. Like I make shows, plays, and sort of social art where I uh, involve the so-called audience and stuff. And I think you know once you have a goal of a thing you're trying to reach, I just think it's hard not to get involved in the process of it. If you start seeing the process being sure. part of the problem of how you're trying, you know, what's getting in the way of getting people to the place you want to go. So then you're going, oh, I want to do this thing, but to do this thing, all this other stuff has to happen differently.
2: Yeah, well, we're, again, it's a truism, but we're motivated by outcomes, And, and delayed gratification doesn't work real well. So one of the nice things about the kind of space that people are building on the, on, it's not only us now, but people are starting to build on the internet for kids to learn is that the learning comes as a consequence once, once the motivation is there and once the context is there, then the learning comes driven by them. Right. But that's, but that's not possible with a textbook And it's not possible in a broadcast medium it's not possible with the science professor standing in the front of the room lecturing to 300 people in seats it's just doesn't the technology doesn't work this technology can do that i mean we have you know tens hundreds of thousands of kids engaged in things in wyville like you know physics they don't even know they're doing physics right
1: well you, well, you see that with, with the other gaming worlds as well. My son learned a huge amount about economics by um, playing um, RuneScape and trading stuff between, between people, and, and then discovered interworld arbitrage and all kinds of stuff he didn't have words for. Um, and as he was explaining to me, he was like, oh, right, you've, you've just done a graduate degree in economics at the age of 11. How did you manage that? Um, right. And it's, it's because there's a there's a, a thing for them to, to experiment with and people to talk to about it, and they 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 pick stuff up from that.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I found when I teach tumbling, and uh, right now it's, it's unpresenting because it's one context that's obvious to people to teach it in, which is, oh, I want people to listen to me when I give a presentation. So I teach them how to not really give it like a presentation. Right. Uh, how engagement works is one of the things that's critical, but I mean I teach it in lots of other or put it in lots of other contexts because I like it to happen in sites and other places and I learn more in the shows that I make how to do it. Um, but one of the key things i found is to not explain to people at the beginning what I'm going to then do. Like if, if I, now, I don't know if this is true in all contexts because performance may be a bit unique because one of the core things I'm trying to, I'm sh- teaching people how to do first is to be comfortable in public spaces themselves. Uh, where the fear of judgment is pretty huge. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's really key. Now I've learned I have to give analytic people a little two-second speech at the beginning saying, yes, there's a way in which I'm doing this and there's notes I'll give you later and blah, blah, blah. But like if I tell you now how, like you won't be able to do it because you'll be too self-conscious about what you're doing. And then it's better that we don't have words for something. We find words later. If we go to the words first... You don't get to connect to your impulse, and you don't uh, integrate it physically. I don't know how the brain works there, but I bet there's some way in which learning uh, integrates differently, you know, when you're emotionally and physically doing it.
2: Sure, sure. By the way, you know who said that first? Who? Socrates. <laughs>
0: Socrates?
2: Socrates. Through you know, Plato.
0: When you're, when you're uh, in law school, as I suffered through, and they like to talk about Socrates uh, a lot and his little, you know, technique, uh, it's usually used the way stand, old, you know, mainstream stand-up is, which is to just
2: pillory people. Right.
0: There's usually no true engagement because the judgment manipulation is so heavy.
2: He would be really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: they get to quote him as an authority.
2: He, he might even commit suicide.
0: <laughs> Again.
2: <laughs> Again. But, you know, the, so one of the uh, – I told you that I really don't like pulling the neuroscience card because I think it's mostly bullshit. Right. <laughs> but <clears throat> the, I do now occasionally, if I'm in a crowd that's mixed, most of the crowds I speak to are either on the rival side or on the science side. But now they're sort of starting to be mixed crowds, which is interesting. And when I do that, I stand up and say, you know, here are the three, here are th- three things that modern computational neuroscience is starting to converge on in thinking about learning in the brain, right? Uh, one of them is that uh, learning has to be active. You have to be involved in it, right? The second one is what you're really doing when you're learning is you're starting where you are now. And through experience you 're twisting if you want your internal model of the world based on experience that 's actually what probably is going on during slow wave sleep. These are controversial things you know and the third thing is that 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 mentoring plays a really strong role proper mentoring can play a huge role in learning okay. So here are three things that modern neuroscience is starting to converge on, but there's still huge debate and discussion and fighting and all the usual stuff that goes on in science. And then I asked the question, who said those things first? And, of course, the answer was Socrates.
1: Hmm.
2: So 2,000-plus years later, modern neuroscience is slowly creeping to an understanding that, uh, that somehow or other these guys developed thousands of years ago. It's well, a little sad, think, actually. But
0: I think creatively, there's always understanding early uh, before I don't know you more about science than I do, but it just seems kind of slow. Maybe not as slow as law or something as horrible as that, but it's sort of a plodding way of coming along and supporting stuff. When i teach you this tumbling, it's, it becomes really important for some people to get that feeling is so much faster than thinking. And it usually freaks some of them out. But it's the only thing you're going to trust at the end of the day anyway, even if you think of yourself as nothing but a thinking person, because you don't make decisions that way. And you certainly socially can't perceive people, which is what I'm playing with Sure, that way. It just doesn't work. Even though I couldn't tell you the science of why, maybe you could tell me.
2: Well, you asked me a question about that earlier. Feeling is nonverbal and thinking is verbal. Mm. So the reason that, You that feeling is faster and more intuitive, and you don't even know sometimes why you feel that way. Like, you know, that guy just really puts me off, right? Is because a lot of most of what's most of the feeling that's transmitted is Mm nonverbal plus. You know there's sort of three this is some sort of classic psychology get if you had a modern psychologist on here, they'd be complaining bitterly. but anyway, there's sort of three levels of communication, right there's the nonverbal and then there's tone, and then there's the actual literal verbal. Mm. and the literal verbal actually has very has a very small contribution to the actual communication. This is why, when you get in a fight with your significant other, you know especially if your significant other is like a scientist uh, or someone that's trained to sort of be like that, okay like the or a lawyer same thing right, then you can get into these arguments like this is that's not what I said, that is what you said that's not what I said that is what you said, right. <laughs>
0: Because and what it's they not really
2: meant—it's not what I meant. Which yes. is why like
0: one of the most useful things you can do in tumbling everybody in any context is to ask, "What do you mean by that?" Because I find you often have to go a few um, levels in. Often, especially if there's different cultures on top of it in a room—never sure. mind different, you know, perception types.
2: So tell them they can't talk, and then tumbling <laughs> becomes dance.
0: Well, yeah, contact improv for sure. It's dance anyway, but it's even more, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, well, I I would love to know, I don't know why I would love to know it, but uh, I am curious about the explanation of how I feel what everybody else feels, which I'm doing a lot in a room. Robert Grubb, this guy I met at Burning Man, who's kind of an amazing guy. I feel like you should know him because he lives in Austin and he's an old hippie. And he's brilliant. And I know all his kids all run amazing startups.
2: Mean. That's so mean.
0: Hey. <laughs> people, you know. No, I mean, I think you he were amazingly cool. I think you guys would have awesome conversations. Sorry. But he was saying it was because, I don't know if this is true.
2: I went to Woodstock. Did he go to Woodstock?
0: I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. Turns out, you know how many millions of people went to Woodstock? A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> That, uh, I, I actually did. But anyway, you're go saying
0: ahead. that you're perceiving more than you think, like, in terms of how much you can see. In terms All of the time. Micro uh, affects. Because for me, I have, like, very strong kinesthetic and emotional response mm. to large groups of people that, for me, are, like, you know, what I'm using to make very fast des- you know, practice decisions about how I'm going to deal with who where to, to shift the room. When and else? he's saying you're, you're visually probably, I don't know if it's smell, like I'm how I'm getting that information in.
2: We're getting dangerously close to a conversation about free will. but
0: Well, I think Myers would love that, so maybe we could go there for him. Yeah, Isn't, isn't that, you know, you were saying about
1: the, the feeling of the nonverbal, isn't the verbal the, the rationalization that you make after you've had the
2: feeling? Uh, yes. I mean, I, the way I think about it, is that... So, let me tell you a story. My my postdoc advisor is a guy named Rodolfo Inas, who's been dabbling in sort of consciousness stuff for a while. And he's a famous neurobiologist. But he was asked to give an honorary talk at, in New York at an honorary society, you know, people that like to think, and which New York has some number of. And um, I'm not casting dispersions on San Antonio. But anyway... So um, and so he said yes I'll give a talk. They wanted to give him a talk on consciousness. He says okay. Uh, he said however I only do it if I have someone else on stage with me. And they said who do you want? And I said he said I want the best puppeteer <laughs> in New York. And then the talk involved him asking the puppeteer what he thought about in manipulating his puppets. And, of course, the point was that consciousness is the puppet, but the puppeteer is the brain. Hmm. So our conscious little story that runs along, I'm in love, I don't like him, I'm angry, blah, 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 is sort of this shorthand, and not even a very good shorthand, I think, for what's really happening and because if you if there's no way you would actually do anything if you understood how complex the real processing you're doing is. I mean, you you know, stupid little example. You know, you go to the grocery store. You know, you arrive at the back door with six groceries in your hand, and you realize that you put your keys in the wrong pocket. And the question is, the verbal question, so the conscious question is, should I put the groceries down and reach over and get the keys, or can I do this and come back and say, yeah, I, I can do this. It's easy. And you do it. It wasn't easy. There's no robot that's ever been built that can do that. <laughs> but you're running along and sort of being told, yeah, you know, fall in love. It's okay. You know it's not okay you know it may commit you to like 50 years of you know of enslavement i mean or some form of having to support some other being who t- turns out at age 13 not to like you anymore so you know what we really compute that's why i have no interest in consciousness studies myself and i have very little interest in consciousness what we really are computing all the time is much more sophisticated. What we're watching all the time, hugely more sophisticated, and we're just not aware of it.
0: It's more sophisticated than what?
2: Than the story we have going.
0: So you think it's so fascinating why bother looking at consciousness because just looking at what we're computing is interesting enough? That's why yeah, you're not yeah. interested in consciousness?
2: I think consciousness is a trick.
0: What do you mean? It's, it's a story we've come up with?
2: Yeah, it's a little storyline runs along that protects us from the real complexities. And as a, neuro, as a computational neurobiologist, where I'm interested in how the structure of the brain is related to the function, I'm interested in digging down, I dig down to levels of neurons and networks to figure out what's being computed. I mean, what are you actually watching? What are you actually smelling? You know, how is the brain interpreting what you're smelling at the moment or watching at the moment? I mean, how come, you know, if if you're sitting uh, paying attention to something right in front of you, you know, and something happens off on the side where you can't hardly even see anything?
0: Oh, I ask all the time, how is it when someone walks in the room behind you and you know, I mean, this is some of the stuff I'm trying to play with with people and increase, you know, their... Yes. Ability to like focus on that, which is a lot of what I focus on, and I, right. I'm still fascinated on how, and it's got to be amazing. I don't know that we know how, but we have no idea. It's got to be super freaking incredible.
2: Well, it it uses I the word the...
0: energy half the time, not because I love it. Or I want to be touchy feely, but I don't have other words to That's describe right. certain things.
2: That's right. Words are not. I mean, poetry is better than usual. But poetry is sort of some funny version of tonal, you know, uh, I mean, good poetry is some funny version of, you know, sort of tonal body image well, stuff. it
0: gives you rhythm, like with stand-up, when you get enough rhythmic stuff to it, and, and comedy is like half yeah. rhythm to me, um, and this kind of social play, it gets you past pure, like, abstracted out thinking. There's some sense of feeling and right. sensation. I mean, people, I can get them to know what I mean, but a lot of it is to get past the, the words, and I love words. But, man, they, they're terrible for talking about how. That's why I'd rather have people do it and then just play with it and they can feel it. That's very clear as opposed to, like, I'm just going to – I mean, I'm going to probably end up writing all this stuff out in a book anyway. Like, here it is, but it's not going to come close to doing it.
1: Hmm. But but isn't a lot of the verbal stuff there because you're constructing a simplified narrative that you're then going to use to try and convince somebody else of
2: yes, your yes. worldview, right? Yes, yes. yourself and, and you, yes, huh? Yeah, yes, both at the same time. You yeah, so convince yourself
1: first so that you can yeah. be convincing to the other people.
2: That's, That's right. But but whether you convince them or not probably depends as much on you know your eyebrows and you know the position of your arms and the position of your legs and you know whether you took a shower in the morning or not as your verbal i mean just look at look i mean again it's this is sort of all patently but look at commercials they're trying to convince you to buy a car as you know if you write down what they actually said to you it doesn't make any sense
0: that's how feeling but it's about feeling so here's another question for you robert grubb was telling me uh that, that this stuff this kind of perception feeling stuff is somehow stronger in women than men biologically is that true
2: um, we oh, know now: It sort of depends on how you define things, uh, so here's, here's something we do know about women, and by the way, I mean, just to be clear, sort of a, a, a you know, statement of um, so one of the things I tell my students is that I know nothing about animal behavior, but I refuse to teach any courses that I'm an expert in because it's horrible for you and worse for me. Oh, yeah. Okay? So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the stuff we're talking about now. I mean, the, the work that I do is uh, scientifically is the level of, you know, single neurons, their ion conductances, you know, how they communicate with each other synaptically, you know, stuff like that. So my real expertise is not at sort of these cognitive meta-levels, Just just a disclaimer, okay? But... You know, I do know a few things here and there. And one of the things, for example, that we know there differs between males and females is the structure of their attention.
0: Yeah, that's what he's talking about. So explain more there. Oh, you know what? Here's what we're going to do, uh, because we're getting near really the end of our time for regular show. And this is just going to be incentive to you, dear listener, hopefully more than listener who's hearing this, to come and be part of the after show Um We're going to put this in after show uh, about the difference in the structures between male and female tension. Who doesn't (laughs) want to know about that? And also people who are intersex. I want to know about that. People who are neither male nor female. So that uh, we're going to get into after the show, but we're going to just wrap up our regular time. Deb has had to leave us, but Kevin, you've once again managed to say very little except the most important things. (laughs) All of the insightful, correct stuff has come from Kevin. Thank you, Kevin Marks for bringing I'm just, your... I'm
1: just summing up the, the actual insight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Lubs>. <laughs> this is a bashful. Oh, I knew about duck grape. Oh, I just happened <laughs> <bunch of> <laughs> 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 And I want to thank Fluzy Speak and Myers and this is where we do like the uh, you know, what was that polka dot door? The show where they look out to the kids, Kali and Zeno and everybody else. Uh, if you want to, help, you know, keep the and show going. Waiting. And what? But Wait. But wait. That sounds really bad Christy Dina, right? who's joined us, Corey <laughs> Doctorow uh, put a word in, out there, which was awesome. You can uh, go to iTunes and give us a review if you want to support the algorithmic process of Apple uh, saying that this is worth listening to. <laughs> and let us know if you want to be on the show, what you want to talk about, or who you want to hear. And um, we're going to be at South by, so it'll be great to get together with all of you there. Uh, this has been a great show next week we have I can't access enough internet to tell you Someone we have a pretty amazing lineup this month um, I think we have Joey Ito coming up I don't know which week uh, hopefully Tim Riley soon I don't know who's next week but we'll tell you uh, sorry for the amateur hour here on the, on the reference uh, thanks to Andrew Hazlitt for producing our show from Baltimore uh, Kevin Marks anything you want to let people know
1: um, nothing comes to mind straight away
0: we will be we're here with Gilad Lotan of Social Flow uh, next Thursday if you want to hear serious accurate data about social media behavior from a very smart ex-Israeli you should join us uh, if you want to hear really proof of why media, social media influences bullshit he will give it to you uh, in, in language that the bullshitters love uh, so that's our show for this week we will see you here next week in the After Show. Jim Bowers, thank you so much for silencing all of us with your super interesting questions and insight. It's been just a pleasure to have you here.
2: Okay, just don't let anyone who knows something listen to this,
0: okay? No worries. We're all pretty clear we don't know a whole lot. Okay, good. We're good with that. <laughs> okay, night good people. See you this week.